0: Hey guys, I'm really excited to announce we are going to be doing a giveaway. What this is going to be is a two-man, two-day guided waterfowl hunt on November 18th and 19th in Northeast Kansas with Steady Wing Outfitters. In order to be signed up for the drawing, there's four things I need you to do. You need to go on to Instagram and follow the Steady Wing Outfitters Instagram page. You have to follow the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. In that Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page, I'm going to be making a post about the giveaway. In that post, I need you to tag three friends in it, and then you have to subscribe to the podcast. Once you've done all four of those things, follow the two Instagram pages, subscribe to the podcast, and tag your three friends. I need you to screenshot all four of those things and send them in a message to me on the Wicked Hunting Report Instagram page. Once you've done that, I'll enter you into the drawing. Uh, The drawing will go until the last day of February, then on March 1st, I will draw the winner, and then on March 2nd in that episode, I will announce who the winner is. So, good luck. Tell your friends. Get as many people as you can signed up. The more people you have signed up, the better options you have, that one of your buddies is going to win it and invite you along. Good luck. Before we get started, I want to tell you about our sponsors Uh, First we have DuckSeason.com, that's D-U-K-S-Z-N.com. Go on there and check it out. You can trade hunts with people from across the country. Uh, There's a good duck hunting forum on there, you can buy some merchandise. Uh, There's also the Salty Fowl line of clothing on there, where 100% of the profits go to the conservation of eiders. Next we have Steady Wing Outfitters. It's located in northeast Kansas, and they're guiding for waterfowl, turkey, and deer. Uh, Follow them on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to book a hunt, you can call Mikey Soberano. His number is 785-410-2304. Next, we have 701 Pursuit. That's Caleb and the guys making hunting and fishing videos on YouTube. Uh, You can check them out there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those places. They also have a website. It is the numbers, 701pursuit.com. Go on there and buy some clothes, hat shirts, stuff like that. Now we've got Waylon Johnson and his guide service, uh, hunting ducks and geese down in the San Antonio, Texas area. Uh, You can find him on Facebook. It's Waylon Johnson on there. Or you can give him a call. His number is 361 four nine four seven eight six eight lastly we have highline retrievers uh, dog training up in northeast montana you can find them on facebook instagram or tiktok it's h-i-l-i-n-e retrievers you can also uh, give me a call my number is 406-783-7083 uh, if you have any questions on training need any advice any help or if you want to set up some training in the future for your four-legged friend. Uh, thanks a lot and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Wicked Hunting Report. This is Garrett. Today I am with Ryan Risher of One Tree Outfitters in uh, southern New Jersey. So, uh, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, appreciate you having us on. Uh, I'll just echo what he said. My name is Ryan Risher. Uh, we operate basically out of Southern part of New Jersey uh, for Black Ducks, Brant, Greater Snow Geese, Puddle Ducks, uh, you kind of name it, we're we're out there trying to do it, you know, from September to March.
0: So, uh, who are you with, I guess? Who's your partner in this?
1: Yeah, so I guess um, the way we kind of got, you know, in touch and everything was through your cousin, who know, with my buddy Travis, who... He and I co-owned the business together. We've been hunting together for about, I don't know, 10, 12 years now, and here we are now um, kind of wrapping up our third or fourth year. Um,
0: Time kind of flies. I actually forget which it even is. So I guess to get started, how did you get started just in hunting in general? I mean, did you grow up doing it?
1: Yeah. um, You know, when you look at, I guess, like statistically speaking, I kind of came in that traditional pathway, like dad hunted, grandfather hunted. They deer hunted, they waterfowl hunted, and it just so happened that here comes old Ryan and uh got roped into it just the same and uh you know, been doing it ever since I turned a legal age to be able to start hunting.
0: So has uh waterfowl always been your bigger thing you like to go after, or did it kinda come in later at all?
1: No, that was kind of the like um like the core thing my dad and my grandfather did. Um they did a lot of like you know small game hunting stuff too growing up like they raised beagles um but by and large i mean you know they belong to you know a hunting club and i don't know if you've heard of it um kind of an iconic area in new jersey barnegat bay um that was kind of the bread and butter of new jersey growing up they had a club that they were part of up there um you know once we moved down to south jersey um you know dad kind of stuck with that you know kind of got me into deer hunting a little bit that they casually did together You know, i'd always get to play hooky during, and you know our our uh buck week and so forth but by and large it's been waterfowl growing up and then you know oddly enough like the three of us you know they didn't do any turkey hunting or anything growing up and you know when i was you know, <laughs> expressed that interest in everything and uh you know we all got into that together and you know kind of ran with that too so you know, between waterfowl, turkey, you know, I, I deer hunt just, you know, f- for the sake of putting a couple of deer in the freezer, but by and large, like, waterfowl is what I look forward to doing, especially the snow geese.
0: Well, I guess you're, like, the third or fourth guy in a row that's big into turkey hunting, I have to tell you that I've never gone turkey hunting before, <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny you say that, because, like, when I started out, you know, we all kind of got into it with this, like I said, at the same time, none of us knew what we were doing, like, i kind of thought you know as we got into it and we're figuring it out like oh like ryan's gonna you know he's the youngest he's gonna be able to shoot the first bird like we'll let him have first dibs and damn like they both shot birds before i did and like that kind of like got me tweaked growing up I actually like quit turkey hunting for a while because like i thought they were just like the cagiest birds and then like finally like got you know some advice from people who were like really good turkey hunters about you know things i was doing wrong and once the pieces of the puzzle really started coming together um now i, I really enjoy it so it's, it's a great thing to do once snow geese left and you know here snow geese leave and you know we get six weeks to you know be able to shoot the snot out of them
0: what kind of turkeys do you guys have up there
1: Ah, uh, they're all Easterns here. Okay. Guess
0: yeah, yeah. I could have kind of assumed that you being on the East Coast, but I don't know anything about turkeys <laughs> at all. So
1: yeah, that, that's all we got here. But you know, it's it's funny because like, you know, kind of going off that, you know, our birds. So like we, you know, back and I think it was like the late 70s, early 80s, and we really didn't have a turkey population. And I know a bunch got like translocated. I think from. Um, Vermont and then uh, Arkansas, believe it or not, we, I think one of our biologists at the time here, they traded a bunch of like rough grouse that we had here, which ironically, we don't have any rough grouse anymore, and we are littered with turkeys, and now it's like you look at Arkansas, and it's like, where where do they have, ar- or, you know, where do they have grouse or turkeys, you know, they're, yeah. they're kind of a premium to come by down there.
0: Yeah. boys gotta start taking care of coyotes down there
1: yeah that's a that's a a sad reality that we're coming to between there and up
0: here (laughs) yeah yeah well i guess aren't coyotes kind of new in your guys' area like in the past couple decades
1: Uh, i mean i'll put it this way from my perspective i think it's a little bit subjective i know you know i think especially up in the northern part of the state their range has certainly expanded at a a more alarming rate than down where I live. You know, I remember growing up 15, 20 years ago where I grew up, it was seldom you would hear coyotes howling. You know, my, I grew up, you know, where my parents lived. You know, they had five acres open farmland. You know, we had, you know, wood lots around us, and it was very seldom you'd hear coyotes. Now I live another 15 minutes south of there, um, and I know people where, you know, they go twenty minutes in either direction of where I live. Say they shoot a deer far back that night. If they don't have a dog on it that night, that that deer is gonna get eaten up by coyotes. I mean, I actually lost a deer for the first time ever to a coyote last year and in a place I least expected it. So there there's certainly more around, but you know my I guess my opinions are a little bit more biased off of your hardcore deer hunter who they, they treat them like they are you know, this evil witchy woman that's just coming for everything in their wallet
0: and so on and so forth. So let's uh, circle back a little bit, back to the guiding. How did you get started doing that? And then how did you guys get started with One Tree Outfitters?
1: Yeah, so kind of a funny story. This is probably going back uh, (laughs) 10 years. I think Travis and I had been hunting together for a couple of years by then. You know, him and I were very much alike, and just, you know, our aggression, maybe that's, maybe that's an aggressive way of putting it, but, you know, we were very dedicated as far as snow goose hunting, and, you know, I was getting a lot more into it at that time, he had a lot more of the equipment, and so forth, but, you know, I had to drive, and, you know, we had had a couple of really good hunts together, and, you know, he had worked for another guide, and, you know, I, I was kind of bouncing around the country at the time, you know, like I was living up in like South Dakota, I was living in Arkansas, like saw like what it was like out, in you know, in the Central Flyway, Mississippi Flyway, where it's like nine day different compared to here. But, you know, we had had a bunch of good hunts together and, you know, kind of knew how one another, you know, operated. And um, we, uh, there, there was a, I think we were up in North Dakota, like 2014 or 2015, you know him and i were up there like freelancing for a couple weeks and um you know, we're sitting around like campfire like drinking a couple of beers and you know we, we'd been having a good i think like our you know this was three or four days in you know we've been having some really good shoots together and we we're just like shit like you know we should just like think about like doing this on our own someday you know again this is like almost 10 years ago now and you know, one kind of thing led to another. Like, it was almost like it kind of started as just, like, kind of a joke. And then, like, you know, I ended up moving. I So I was living in Arkansas at the time when we went up there and come back home. And, you know, he was working for a guide. I was working for a guide. And, you know, we both, I guess, kind of seen the good, the bad, the ugly of how, you know, other people operate. And, you know, I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of negative sense. But just saying things you like and you don't like. And it's like, well, you know, we could just as easily do this on our own. You know, I know all the process we got to do to get everything set up as far as the LLC the insurance, you know, website, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was like, we're not going to get any you know, younger. Like if there's any time we're going to do it, let's just do it. And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of it in a nutshell, you know, kind of, you know, coming up with a name and, you know, you know we had a lot of the access in our back pocket especially for snow use because that's you know what we were really passionate about and you know between three or four counties i mean we had a lot of it a lot of it to ourselves and a lot of really just high equity property that we can manage we can manage the pressure we can manage when we hunted there we could pick our days to go there and it just it made our hunts that more enjoyable and you know From our perspective, we wanted to make it, I shouldn't say we wanted to make it more enjoyable for us. We wanted to share that enjoyment with others. Um, And, you know, we just kind of jumped in blind to it. And it's, it's bewildering now kind of going from that to where it's like, you know, now I got people reaching out from all the country. They want to go shoot their black ducks. They want to go shoot their brand. They want to, you know, they kind of consider like their greater snoogies as opposed to. You know, Shane out in the Midwest is like kind of a subspecies for them. They want to come target, so it's it's cool how it's become this like giant kind of web of a network for us to kind of. Well, you know, prime example of talking to you right now. We've never met, and it's you know word of mouth through somebody that he's hunted with, and we will maybe never meet at any other point in our lives. So it's it's cool in that sense.
0: Well. When I uh, get the money and decide I want to get my black duck, I'll be sure to give you a message. So don't say we're not going to meet.
1: I will hold you to that.
0: (laughs) So uh, I guess out of all the stuff that you guys chase around, what is your favorite bird to go after over there? Over on that side.
1: Oh, man. Um, You know, as far as ducks go... um, I really love teal hunting. I, I love shooting green winged teal. Um but aside from that, you know, as selfish as it sounds and as selfish as I I am to love loving duck hunting, you know, it's kind of something to do until the snows get here. You know, that two, three months we get to hunt them. That that's what I that's what I kind of am looking forward to all season. You know, we get that first Full moon in October, November, and you start finally hearing them going overhead, even though, you know, you know, they're pushing to North Carolina, Virginia, but you know, they're eventually going to start backing up to where, you know, they're wintering on the Bay Shore, they're wintering in Delaware and crossing to a bunch of our our farms and stuff, you know, down in South Jersey, you know, where they're roosting on some of the rivers that, you know, are just off of properties that we hunt and stuff, you know. That, that two, two and a half months, we get to hunt them. That's that's what I look forward to the most.
0: I gotcha. So I guess excluding east, like if you're going to come out here in the central flyway, is, have you only chased snow geese out here or, or have you gone after anything else over here? Um, I mean, so
1: like I mentioned, like I, I lived in Arkansas for a few years. I was going there for grad school. And I don't have to tell you there, you know, it was just like all my buddies was just like we're just gonna go shoot mallards, and I'm like, Yeah, know, like there's stuff here like I don't really ever get to shoot a whole lot of back home. Like, I mean, like we shoot some gadwall, we shoot some ringneck, like you know, we shoot some redheads, we shoot some of that stuff. But I'm like, if there's like kind of some mixed stuff I want to shoot, like yeah, granted, like you know, we don't have flooded timber and green tree reservoir and stuff, which yeah, getting that experience out there awesome like i i I can't wait to hopefully get to go back and do it but it was more just getting exposed to a different style of hunting living out you know the mississippi flyway um you know like when travis and i went to north dakota and like when we've gone up there you know i wouldn't say there was any sort of like target in mind or anything i mean aside from like our swans and stuff because we drew from them but other than that it was just getting to hunt a different place, you know, and just DIYing it, and, you know, kind of, you know, just having that, you know, wanderance of, like, we're throwing out a couple of dozen decoys, and, like, you don't know what's going to come in, and having that uncertainty and that excitement of, like, okay, you know, we threw out a few dozen mallards, but, like, we could have Canvas back do it, we could have Gadwall do it, we could have Shower do it, we could have Redheads do it, you know, I liked more of that at War rather than targeting something
0: yeah
1: uh, okay. outside of that you know I, I haven't traveled to pacific flyway yet that's 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 on the list at some point
0: <laughs> yeah so that was something i was gonna i mean kind of say was i kind of got spoiled in that i got started in north dakota and i've only kind of hunted here but i grew up with that like we might we i might just set out a canada spread and end up pounding away on widgeon and mallard all day and Wood ducks if it's earlier season. So I know over by your guys' side you kind of more specifically target them. I guess like how would you? I'm very fresh to that. I don't know anything about it. How do you like? Do you just like go like where you know black ducks are instead of a black duck spread and go for them, or how do you guys even do it over there?
1: Yeah, so it's um it's a little bit circumstantial,
0: right? You know,
1: I, I would say here you're kind of hunting some niche habitats you know you're not it's not just for example you're you know we're talking about north dakota it's not all prairie pothole it's not all rolling barley oats corn bean what what have you here you know we're kind of constricted to a couple of staples as far as fields go um but as far as the the waterways that you're hunting you know it's very it's very different you know there's times we can shoot black ducks in tidal coastal march where it's a totally different style of hunting Where you're hunting tidal freshwater march. Um, you can be hunting, you know, creeks, you can be hunting ponds. They, you know, they get into all these different areas and kind of, you know, depending on where you plan on hunting for them, um, it's going to kind of dictate what kind of spread you run for them. How many decoys you run for them, what kind of hide you need for them. You know, there's, You know, I would also say, you know, the the pressure is a big thing. And I think a lot of our our coastal black ducks, they get a lot more pressure than probably some of our inland black ducks, where I think you can be a little bit more forgiving with, you know, your hide and your calling and, you know, your decoys and so forth. Um, Our coastal ones, I mean, you got to have a really good hide. You know, I really lay off of my calling, like really just kind of set up where I know they're going to be as opposed to setting up somewhere kind of just randomly knowing they're going to be trading through or I'm going to be, you know, humming them on a a tide knowing they're going to be moving through. It's, I'm going to go there, like say it's a hypothetical thing where, you know, a lot of birds, especially if we're humming a, a tidal situation, a lot of those birds are going to move on the tide. I may set up somewhere where I know those birds aren't going to fly at first light. And, you know, there's times we get looks at us where like, we're not going out at you know 5 30 in the morning to get set up by shooting light it's like no you know the tide doesn't start moving till nine, ten o'clock like we're going to go and get situated at like eight o'clock and you know for some people that's like it's it doesn't make sense to them because we always are you know wound up thinking like we need to be out there before light like we need to be there in case we miss anything and it's like those situations like you're not missing anything those birds don't have anywhere to be why should we
0: yeah well and that's kind of where Over here, I'm kind of getting more into that uh, feel of things where, I mean, I've had so many mornings that we're up and we're set up an hour or two before shooting light. And then, you know, Canada's won't be flying until like 1030. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm times that where we've set up later and got a good night's sleep and got out, got everything set up and sat down, still had a half hour before geese flew was a lot more enjoyable than... Being up at three o'clock, getting in a field, cold, setting everything up, and then you just lay there in your co- layout line, cold and shivering, just to see nothing for multiple hours. And about when you're ready to pick up is when they finally start getting up and you've already said, screw it, I'm done for the day.
1: I would say, like, one thing where, you know, I, I've kind of come to terms with that. Um, and, and I tell a lot of people about it, you know, and Travis is very much the same way. Like, we're both pretty religious about kind of keeping a, a log from season to season you know you you do it for four or five years you start picking up on certain trends start picking up on you know certain little even just like places you hunt where you know you start getting towards a new moon. you start getting towards a full moon you start getting towards you know any sort of little idiosyncrasy within the weather you know just like people are about how they get obsessed about deer hunting they're looking at you know the barometric pressure they're looking at this and that and the other the moon phase it's no different with ducks, no different than geese. And, you know, you can use that to your advantage. I mean, you know, I, I think back to this season, you know, I had a guy coming from Michigan just to get his brand. And, uh, you know, when he got in and everything, I was like, yeah, you know, we'll meet you at the ramp at like, you know, 8, 830, get a good night's sleep and, you know, we'll meet you there. And it was kind of like, why? Like, when <laughs> There when? And I was like, dude, we're going like, few hundred yards from the ramp, like right where the birds are going to be, you know, and we get there and like, we're kicking birds out, going to where we're going to hunt. It's like, first point, it's like, he finally got one of his brand and he's like, all right, like we can go home now if you want. I was like, no, like (laughs) I want to get the dog a few more retrieves, but like, you see, like you understand now, like why we didn't sit out here for two and a half hours. Like we wanted to wait till the birds were actually in here. And then like, there's going to be that incentive for them to come back.
0: Yeah. So something I was gonna ask about: you guys are in a more populated area. You guys have a lot, a lot more issues with, uh, I guess, landowners are being close to cities or big towns at all.
1: Us personally, fortunately, because I mean, granted, we're in you know the most densely populated state in the country. Down where we are, um, we're fortunate in the sense that. We are not around, like, any sort of metropolitan areas or, you know, houses right on top of one another. I mean, I'll say that with a grain of salt because we do have some places that we hunt, you know, where, you know, you're on Onyx, you're out there with the range finder to make sure you're outside of 450 feet. That's legal distance here to be outside of, you know, an occupied residence where you're you're pushing it and there may be a phone call about it and there have been phone calls about it. But you know, by and large, um, you know we're very fortunate with a lot of our landowners. They they know the they know the deal. I mean, I have you know permission from some of mine to you know hunt within 450 feet of their houses or their you know full, you know silos, their barns, things of that nature. You know they just want you know the geese taken. They don't they don't want them there. So that makes it nice. But you know, in the same token, there's places that you know we hunt where there's a lot of crime. And you know you're a couple miles outside of town, and you know you're next to a bunch of houses. And you know I'm thinking back to this past September opening day for September Canadas, and you got eight guys with unplugged guns. <laughs> and at six thirty in the morning, you know the house is downwind of it here. A half a case go off, and <laughs> you know nine thirty here comes you know the police department showing up, and uh, you know me being the liaison between the crew, I got to go out and have the conversation (laughs) with the police officer about it. But, you know, it's by and large, you know, they, they, you know, we've never had any issues about it. You know, we've never, um, you know, I I know many of the game wardens in the area and they're all really good guys and they, they do really great work and they know what we're up to. They know, Mm -hmm. you know, we have nothing to hide or, you know, we're not up to any good. So and I think we're fortunate in that sense as well that we're away from the we're away from the stigmas when you think of New Jersey, I'll say. You know, we're it's not New York and um, you know, Sopranos and Jersey Shore and you know, it's it's very much a rural area down here where people hear gunshots by and large and you know, they expect
0: it's probably people hunting. So you haven't had anybody come out with a blowhorn and try to scare your birds off for you or nothing
1: no i've I've I actually have had that happen i've actually um uh last year i had people call the cops on me saying i was trespassing so um you know there's i don't know how familiar you are with it but you know um with like public trust doctrine if you're hunting tidal water you know you have a basically a constant <laughs> right to you know recreate in tidal water and you know we're out hunting tidal water and I'm right up against these people's property but as long as I'm below the mean high tide line floating you know I'm legally allowed to recreate there and these people who they were new homeowners they you know there was a piece of marsh that was included in the property and they were evidently not aware of certain laws and regulations and they came out you know yelling and screaming at us and I'm like I'm not here hunting. I'm not on the upland part of your property where then I would be trespassing. And you would have, you know, some legitimate reason for being upset with me, but, you know, you can kind of go pound sand right now. And if you want to make something out of it, you know, we will. And short of me saying that next thing I know, I have the state police yelling for me from their deck and they're telling me I'm trespassing. And now at this point, so, you know, I guess I'll preface this by saying, you know, I grew up in a, in a law enforcement family where, you know, my dad had really ingrained a lot of this in my head and, you know, laws and regulations, as far as hunting goes, were basically my Bible. I knew what I could and couldn't do. I knew what I couldn't, couldn't get away with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was having the state police yell this at me, I'm like, I'm not going to be yelling at you 300 yards across the marsh. If you want to meet me at the ramp, we'll have this conversation there. And, you know, they show up and they're like, you know, we had a conversation with them. We made a phone call. You know, you guys are good. And I'm like, well, I know we're good. Like, you know, but I don't really appreciate being accused of something I didn't do because I'm not going to put myself
0: in that kind of situation. Would you guys have like, was that just like a fun hunt or anything or did that have clients yeah. at all on
1: it? Uh, it was like Christmas Eve last year. Okay. I, was just, I was just out hunting with a buddy. And
0: okay. that is good because, I mean, that would have been a lot different story if you had clients and all of a sudden you had. Cops yelling at you that you're trespassing, that could really, I mean, even screw up business.
1: Yeah, but you know what, you know, I'll put it this way, like, I have a conscience, and in that situation, I would have handled it the exact same. I knew I would never put anybody that I have with me in a situation like that, and again, really knowing the law, um, there's nothing that I felt was going to come back as a repercussion, even if I had people or not, um, so and I, and I don't mean that in any sort of like, you know, you know, holier than that way. It's just something I, I take very seriously, uh, especially if it's whether it's friends, you know, it's people I'm taking as clients. I mean, my my buddy that I actually had with me, you know, he had been um, getting into waterfowl the past couple of years. Oddly enough, he he came as a client with us like our first year and he just super good dude, just super down to earth just wants to learn like we just became really good friends and he was the one that was with me and he's trying to get me to like calm down and i'm like no dude like this is not like if this is what, how it's gonna go like they want to make a you know a scene out of it like i'm gonna make a scene out of it but they're gonna be the asshole in the end about
0: it <laughs> well good that's why it's a good thing to know your laws and your rights too
1: yeah
0: i mean you could even turn that around you don't seem like a guy that would do it, but you could turn that around into hunter harassment and really teach those guys a lesson. I mean, the landowner wise, but
1: yeah. So, you know, you know, and my my buddy had brought that up and I'm like, dude, like, honestly, these people probably have no clue what that even is. And honestly, like aside from her, like admitting she was on like the horn to us, like yelling at us and like beeping this, you know, loud whatever like speakerphone thing at us. Like, And admitting that to the state police like like they're just ignorant they don't know any better like i don't win or lose anything by now rubbing their nose in it i still get to go hunt there and that for me is like they're gonna have to kind of live with it
0: you know such is life yeah so on your guiding life do you have any uh good or bad or funny, uh, clients or client stories at all you could share?
1: (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I can't really say, like, I don't, I'm not really one to speak bad about people. I mean, you know, you, you always get, like Travis might joke about it. Like there's always like one group a year you get that like, they're just, they just rub you the wrong way. And you know, that happens every year. I'm not gonna sit here and berate or you know talk negatively of them, but it, but it happens. Like you can just expect it, right? Because you know I think one thing we've learned, and I think could speak for a lot of guys out there, you don't you don't know what kind of expectations you're getting yourselves into. You know we have people who come that they just see ten thousand Smokies, which sounds like a joke, but like you know especially out in the Midwest Central Flyway, like. there's some exes we're hunting where it's, like, 10,000 birds. They just see those birds, and, like, they're, like, oh, my God, like, this is awesome. Even if they shoot, like, a couple. And, like, we go out, and we're like, wow, that, like, sucked. And you get other guys, like, they go out and they shoot 50, 60, 80 birds, and they're, like, you can just tell, like, their expectations, like, still weren't really met. And so it's, like, you kind of get that, like, weird balance of, like, what the hell, like, we just went out and, like, had a great day. And like they're like kinda like, eh, like we we like we should have shot more. And like <laughs> like I don't know how many people would complain about this. And if you're complaining about this, like go to a different state or like go somewhere else. Like I, I don't know what to tell you at that point.
0: Yeah. Um, you're not on a rice field guided hunt in Arkansas. It's nah, it's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's it's always so interesting to me seeing like you know, like interacting with people and it's like, you know, again, seeing where their expectations are at and like having to like kind of ground them at the same point where, you know, they, they see those videos of the central flyway where people have these, you know, just um, just silly extensions on their guns. And they're just they got 12 guys dumping into a flock and they're raining 40, 50 birds out of a flock and they they translate that expectation to like here. And a lot of them it's like by and large they don't really snow goose on a lot. They snow goose on maybe once or twice a year. They get that same tunnel vision and a lot of them it's like they black out shooting at a huge flock. And I'm like, oh my god, like we only shot like eight or ten birds out of that. And I'm like, Well, did you pick a bird? Like we talk about picking back birds and moving your way in. That way you're always shooting birds at like a consistent distance. And they're like, oh, I just shot into the flock. And I'm like, there you go. You know, so it's like you you get some of those people where it's like they leave thinking they should have shot more birds. And that's somehow your fault. And it's like, dude, I'm not I'm not the one shooting for you. You know, so. Again, like I, I can't think of like any, you know, bad, egregious people we've had. I mean, we've had people leave us bad reviews and say stuff that was totally false. Because they were sour that they you know hunt for a few days, it was slower than they anticipated. But you know, there's so much we have to counter that, and we're painfully honest people that we're actually just fine at night knowing, you know, we did what we could, and that's all we can do.
0: Well, and at the end of the day, it's hunting. I mean, if it was if it was killing, yeah. it'd be called killing.
1: You know, I I, I can't remember if it was like. It may have actually been on your podcast. Or maybe I was listening to another one with, like, Joe Hines, and he was like, you, <laughs> you pick the date in, like, August or September, what it is. Like,
0: I can't. You know as much as I do.
1: Yeah, like, I can't predict the future in February. And, like, I've had people, you know, they, they want to pick a date in eight months out, and then they don't want to give a deposit for it because they're fearful of what's going to happen. I'm like, that's the risk you take. But at the same time, I'm not going to have you come here and I'm going to have you bird watch. You know, like, I mean, this year, prime example, I've never in my life seen the flyaway as discontorted as it is with snow geese. We basically lost all of January hunting. I've never seen it like that before in my life. I'm not outrunning people. I'm telling people, like, dude, I I don't have them. It's not worth us going. And frankly, like people have been more appreciative of that than us just taking them and them having a bad time. Like, I don't want to do like if I don't want to go and I don't want to sit with people where it's like we're just going to chit chat to make small talk and kind of better the mood. Like, I just don't like I'm just not going to take you. I think people at least appreciate that. You know, that we're that painfully honest in some circumstances, even though like it sucks not going like, you know, we want to be out there as much as, you know, all the people that book with us. But, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to go committing highway robbery over it.
0: So this is something I was going to ask. You guys get the Jack minor bands in your area, right? We do not. You don't at all. Okay, I uh-huh. thought they were more over there on the east coast area, but,
1: but. pretty much stop at like um, like Erie, Western Pennsylvania. We we don't get any down our way now.
0: Okay, that's what I was gonna ask is, do you ever have people specifically trying to get them going with you guys? But no,
1: kinda... a, a lot of the guys who when they come with us, um, because there's a large proportion of like Brant that are banded here that's what they're kind of expecting over like a jack miner is like we're gonna go out brand hunting and like they're gonna shoot a banded brand, um which
0: you know i don't have to tell you even that that's not
1: a guarantee
0: yeah so i guess do you have any cool stories off the bands or anything any like odd happenings on one
1: um yeah i mean we've, we've gotten a few really cool ones over the years um you know like travis shot um this is probably going back eight or nine years now like he shot a a snow goose uh that was banded up in greenland um which is like cool for those birds because like greenland doesn't have their own banding program um they kind of piggyback off of um uh denmark i believe it is i think it's, it's denmark um so like he shot one of those and it was actually like out of like one of our like home farms that's been in travis's family since like late 1600 believe it or not like pre like revolutionary time which was pretty badass to be able to shoot it there and it was like a like a 16 or 17 year old bird uh, that was pretty cool um you know we had a a time a few years back we don't we don't get you know like white fronts or anything here and um i had a flock i was actually out canada hunting and I, I heard them. I, I just assumed it was like one or two in this plot. And I ended up like they ended up leaving. I, I couldn't see the birds or anything. And I go around to like the Lake they loaf on everything. There was like a dozen of them out there. So I was like, holy shit. Like this is like, you know, this is a gem here. Like we rarely see them. So like we targeted them for a few days, just trying to get them in range um you know travis was able to shoot one of those one days we were out that was pretty sweet um like other bands you know like you know we've shot a couple of like uh transmitters for snows which was great because like we got a bunch of like shit like people think we're like poaching and road hunting or doing anything like piggy, and it's like it's so funny to like see that kind of like loathing from other people and it's like the the second one that we shot, I was actually out with another guy and his son at our pit, and, like, this bird came over, and, like, I saw, like, something was up with the bird before, like, we even shot it, and, like, when it got, like, right over the top of us, like, I called it, and, like, I just assumed it was another collar, so, like, I call it out, and, like, I kind of called it out as I shot, but being a little selfish, which I'm sure you could appreciate or understand, for sure. And this damn bird, like, hits the ground, and it's, like, it's not a yellow collar, which I'm expecting on a snow. I see it's white, and I'm, like, no freaking way. Like, this bird that just peels off by itself is, like, a transmitter. And, like, they got to witness it and everything. Like, my buddy's, like, dog got to retrieve it and everything. So, it's, like, that just, like, there, it's, like, if you had any doubt. Now I have, like, even more witnesses It's like, I don't want to hear it. And, like, the other one, you know, we shot it and a band out of the same flock. And, like, I have, like, email exchanges, like, with the researcher. Like, was it with another abandoned bird? Was it in a family flock? So It's like, we have, like, all this, like, stuff where it's, like, it just negates, like, all of the, like, the loathing. So it, it makes it, like, very gratifying in that sense that it's, like... Again, nothing to really hide. Like the birds are shot legally and like we have this like kind of backstory for both of them.
0: So uh, are yeah. are you allowed like the information off the transmitters? Like can you ask for like the emails or whatever that can show where they've been and how often they get pinned and whatnot? So what's what's cool is like
1: I quasi knew one of the researchers for them um you know just networking kind of stuff and like he was able to give me uh, like the kmz files for both birds and like the one like lost a bunch of data they actually suspected that it probably got attemptedly poached up in new york and it damaged the collar on it like this is the email that he sent me and based on the fact like it wasn't charging properly and like Basically, there was a bunch of data that got lost from like the Finger Lake South. They think that's what happened. The other one that we got last year, we were able to get all the data on it, which was just super cool for our intents and purposes. Like, just reinforcing a lot of the places we know they're loafing, they're roosting, and just like, just in general, like where they're traveling and like seeing how far they can travel in a day. Like, it's just, that was just, like, super cool to be able to see. And, you know, my background, you know, where, you know, in a past life I was a biologist and did all that kind of stuff, banding birds and nothing really related to, like, waterfowl. But just, again, just, I don't know, like, it was just, like, a really cool thing to be able to, to see, you know, in kind of real time.
0: Yeah, I I think it was Chris Houston that was telling when he was on the show, but he had a group of guys that he knew they shot into like a group of, uh, snow geese. They shot a couple of them out of there. They're all banded, like sequential numbers. Like they're all banded together and they missed one of the flock. Well, two of those guys in that group came over. I think they shot them like on the Wisconsin, Minnesota border, somewhere over in Wisconsin or something. And then the next week, two of those guys from the group came over to North Dakota to hunt with him and on their first hunt or whatever it was, they shot a single bird come in. They shot it and it was that bird. It it was that bird off of that had flown straight (laughs) West a couple hundred miles right in the middle of the sequential numbers or whatever is the one that they missed out of the flock that were all banded.
1: It's, it's so so funny like how that stuff happens, man. Like I like, I'm even thinking back to like two times this year. So like we had, um, we had a group of guys from PA they uh, they shut a uh, a brand with a backpack like a it's kind of like a you know solar backpack that they use and stuff they're kind of like new over the past couple of years and I ended up like talking to one of my buddies about it who hunts with us and he had actually like been there the day those birds got banded up in North Jersey and like sent me a video of like all the birds like getting released out of the trap and like this bird was in there and like that was just like wicked cool to see and like you know I had guys this past year from um uh out in like central western pa like they shot a bird that was banded like on a lake near where i grew up like way out like due west like 180 200 miles from where we are and then like that following week one of my buddies shot a banded mallard from out that way so it was like we were joking like oh like it's your turn now like send us a bird and we'll send you a bird yeah, you know, it's just it's, – it's so bewildering
0: how some of that stuff happens. It's 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 so cool. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's so wild, and I'm glad that they're doing things like that with the trackers so we can actually – because it's, like, been a mystery for centuries on how, you know, they go north every year and they go south and they go to the same spots every time. But seeing – like, if you watch some of those transmitters and you see them lots of times, they're straight lines, but there's times that they're zigzagging and backtracking just, like, for no reason, and they'll just, like – backtrack and go further east 200 miles for no reason one day hang out for a night and then back north it's it's just wild what they do
1: yeah i mean it was cool like the uh the one transmitter that i was i was talking about that we shot at our pit um back in february last year and we were actually able to get the whole data file on at this time but this bird flew down basically from I think it was, um, like, somewhere around, like, Plattsburgh, like, up in New York, like, right on the New York-Canada border, flew nonstop down to um, one of the, like, coastal refuges where they uh, they get kind of, like, it's, like, one of the four wintering areas in New Jersey. They've always wintered, like, a small flock of birds there for snows. Um, it flew there to, like, one of the bays there, and it literally made a U-turn. And flew back like to northeastern PA, and like hung out there for like three or four weeks. And, like, like, but again, you think about it, like it flew nonstop basically from Canada-New York border, Vermont-Canada border, down in New Jersey, and back up to northeastern PA in a day. Like, it's just, it's so bewildering.
0: It's wild absolutely wild it's a wonder that we can never shoot any of them with how much they see especially during hunting season or those snow geese like you said that one that was 16 years old or whatever i mean how many spreads of that thing seen before it finally got shot it's just it's wild
1: i agree with that that's why i think i just i appreciate them so much
0: well let's move on to something a little bit different than birds still do with birds you got your dog. Uh do you do your own training on him or her, I guess, or
1: Yeah, so um I do. Um and he he is a he.
0: Um, okay. I, we're not gonna get into any his twenty twenty-three pronouns. He is he is a male. <laughs> well, I mean, there's some guys that get pretty upset if you call their female dog a male on accident. <laughs> but
1: yeah, so he's uh he's actually my first dog that I'm like training and you know, I've grown up around labs, like my dog's or my dad's train labs and so forth, but he's the he's the first that I've had on my own. And you know, it was it's been to be frank, it's been a learning experience. It's more so taught me a lot about myself rather than just dog training in general. Because like you know, I going into it like I didn't really you know, there's so many resources out there now, like between books, trainers these online programs now you know with like cornerstone and there's like another like like Uh, standing
0: stone i think is another one or standing Standing oak or something like
1: retriever academy like you know like looking at like bill hellman like there's all these like different things out there now and like even like books i was reading that are like kind of the go-tos like there was nothing i found where i was like i want to follow this step by step and have Mm -hmm. a finished dog like There was stuff that, like, just didn't fit my personality, like, it didn't fit how I wanted to, like, train my dog, like, and, again, like, you know, I've I've seen great dogs, I've seen dogs that I'm like, why is this dog even here, I've seen dogs that are just kind of meatheads, and, like, the guy who brings it, like, dog brings the duck back, and they're okay with that, that, like, really wasn't, like, what I wanted, and, like, truth be told, like, I kind of went rogue with him, like, I almost kind of, like, created, like, my own program with him based off of, like, a lot of good stuff I'd read, a lot of good stuff I'd watched, and, like, you know, I wanted something that was going to just fit my personality, fit what I thought was going to be best for my dog, and I just kind of went rogue with it, and, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here, and, again, he just turned, like, a year old a couple months ago, he's not, obviously, he's a year old, right? You'll, but you only have so long to kind of use that as, like, an excuse, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, like, for his first year, I mean, like, you know, he, he, he topped over 100 birds. He only lost, I think, one or two. Like, my expectations were kind of blown out of the water. Like, he didn't sit there and break. You know, he only broke a couple of times. Like shit, you're gonna expect out of a young dog. Like they're excited, they're amped up, they're overstimulated. Um, you know he's got a lot of work to do, but like, I mean, it, like what what can you say, right? You know, mm-hmm. your dog is your dog. Like I, I even wrote like a a thing for like split read about it. You know, just kind of like things as like a new dog owner that like I learned just getting a dog and knowing I was gonna hunt him in like the first you know few months of having him and. You know, I talked a lot about just, like, you know, keeping your expectations grounded and just, you know, doing what's best for your dog and just not treating your dog like it's a flower and letting him make his own mistakes and, you know, stepping in when you should and, you know, like, things like that. And just not being afraid of constructive criticism and, you know, things of that nature. Just be open about it, be open to interpretation, be open to... Getting your ass chewed about stuff you're doing wrong and, you know, taking advice and, you know, rolling with it and just, you know, kind of above all, just, you know, a lot of people like they're going to want to see you and your dog succeed. Like they don't want you getting a dog and being like, well, good fucking luck with it. Like they want to see you succeed. So they're going to always give you insightful invite or uh, advice. Um <laughs> You know, so I've always been, like, super appreciative to that, you know, where I've had people who they're just getting their own first dogs now. They're in my shoes where, you know, I'm like, hey, like, I'm kind of right there with you. Like, let me know if you need any help, if you want to train together just to get the dog exposed to working around another dog. You know, or like. I have people who have seasoned gun dogs or they train, they've sent their dogs out to trainers. Like, I pick their brains about stuff. And I'm not looking for any right or wrong answer. I'm just looking for other avenues of, like, something I'm doing isn't working. Like, I'm not afraid to try.
0: On the, you said you went rogue and made your own thing. That's kind of what I did when I started with the first dog that I trained was I had a book, and I was trying to follow that thing word for word like it was the Bible.
1: Yeah.
0: And, man, I I messed up sometimes, and I just... That Dog had more potential than I could put out because I was so set on just following this book. And uh, after that, I, uh, I got all the DVDs I could watch. I got all the books I could find. And like you said, all those different things, I pretty much went on YouTube and just would Google different things I'd see and watch like a dozen, two dozen different guys doing the same thing, but everybody was doing it a little bit different way. And then from that, I was able to kind of like mold myself and kind of like find like a median ground but then you know different options for different dogs like there's a lot more sensitive dogs there's hard-headed dogs there's hyper dogs there's dogs that you've got to drag off the couch to get them outside I mean there's dogs that you go anywhere near a bumper they can it's like they can sense it and they're right next to you trying to knock you over because they know what's coming so the biggest thing on that is just being flexible like you were saying like taking Don't read one thing as gospel because that's what screwed me up on my first dog and I'm glad that I moved past that and got to the point where I'm at. Not that I'm a master dog trainer by any means, but... I'm
1: right there with you. I'm not going to hide it.
0: (laughs) But uh, another thing too is when, like, if you have a bad day at work and you come home and you know that you're not in a good mood, shit didn't go right, it's a rough day, the best thing you can do is just go out and throw that dog a couple bumpers. Don't even consider going out and trying to especially start something new because your temper is already short and your dog can sense it. it's like a horse they can tell what kind of mood you're in if you're in a shitty mood and you're not able to communicate without getting upset right away you pretty much just wasted a day may have done things that you got to backtrack over the next week to get rid of so you're better off you know just relax and throw a couple bumpers sit down have a beer pet your dog start again tomorrow
1: you, you totally hit the nail on the head like and I think that was something else I even, like, mentioned this, like, little, like, write-up I did. It's just, like, you know, you're going to know your dog best. Some book you read, something you watch, like, that's not some end-all as applicable to your dog. And like I mentioned before, I, I think one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn is it's taught me a lot more about myself than it has training a dog. Right. Cause like taught me a lot about my patience, like my threshold. And like, you know, I've always considered myself like a, a very good like communicator with people. Right. But like now you're communicating to something that doesn't speak the same language as you. And you're still trying to get that same intonation or that same, you know, point or command across. And it's like now you're speaking a different language trying to do it. And, I've had those moments where I'm like, holy Christ, like, how am I not making sense right now? And it's so it, like I've had days where I, I get so frustrated and I'm like, I've had to, like, back myself up. And I'm like, I just like I feel like such an asshole. Like, I just kind of took it out on the dog. And like he doesn't have a clue what I'm trying to actually ask of him. And then it's like when he finally like, does make it click. And I'm like, Jesus, thank God. Like, you throw the goddamn dog a party. And it's, like, after that, it's, like, he gets it. And it's, like, those little breakthrough moments, like, it totally just changes your perspective on hunting and, like, having a dog to hunt with. And, you know, I I tell people all the time, like, you know, I've hunted with people who have dogs, whether they're great dogs or not, but it's different when it's, like, your own dog, and it's, like, just how much, like, the two of you like just changes your perspective on hunting i mean the past couple weeks because like you know we haven't had any snow geese around hunt so like i've been hunting broadbill just to get the dog out and just get him getting him some more water work and like you know we're hunting out of a different boat he's not been in and like he's just not marking birds the same way like i know he's capable of and like to me i'm like what like Let's go, like, come on, dude, like, you mark, you plainfully mark this bird, like, like, why are you just still sitting here, and, like, it's silly stuff just, like, coming down to, like, depth perception out of, like, a different bow, or, like, you know, whatever the case may be, and, like, I gotta kind of, like, shoo him out of the bow, just to, like, be, like, get out of your comfort zone, like, I know you're, I know you're out of it, but, like, dude, you're fine, you've done this before, like, go do it, and, like, you're going to get a freaking party after it. And then, like, you do that two days in a row where it's, like, I'm sitting there, like, cursing at the dog. And the third time you go, and I'm, like, why didn't you do this? To, the He didn't do this for two days, and now it's, like, a completely different dog. And it's just reading your dog, like, building your dog's confidence and, you know, <laughs> making your dog, I guess, aware of, like, what you're expecting out of them. And I'm just, like all right, like, I guess he's kind of getting it now. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a funny, it's just, it's just
0: funny. So something I was going to say is, like, if you're, like you were saying, like, you know how to do this, or, like, you're trying to teach him something, and he's just not getting it. I am trying so hard to find this dude's name, and I can't find it. I can't remember it. But I met him this summer at a hunt test I was doing over in Minot. I can picture his face, but I can't think of his name. But he just won an award from AKC. He finally got it like the top handler, trainer, or something of the year in the Labrador section. Okay. And he's an older gentleman. He's got no more vocal cords, so he can't talk. So whenever you talk to him, he writes on a board to do his response. And he is a wizard with dogs. And so he's training these dogs no voice or anything. He's got a little handheld thing, and he like he clicks it for different whistles, like a single whistle, double whistle, a loud long whistle and he's like he's got well I think he had like eight dogs on his truck while we were there and he's trained every single one of these dogs and so that kind of made me realize that I mean I was working with Bo my dog he was well he was under one at the time hunt, doing the uh senior test but I was frustrated with him because i was seeing all these other dogs that were they were obviously had like six years on him all the other ones in the thing and they were all well behaved and he had just failed out of it because he did everything perfect. But then he broke on his, like he was supposed to sit at heel on other dog went to retrieve and he broke on that. And afterwards I was all mad. Cause you know, I drove way out there, stood out there in the hot, got aided by bugs just for him to screwed up the last second. And I could say that was on him, not me for once. I'm usually one letting him down. But anyways, that, that, that guy came up to me and he wrote his message and he's, he said, uh, well, you look down, whatever, what's, What's going on? And I, I told him, he's like, do you think I got this far in life if I gave up that early? I mean, it just takes a lot of patience and practice was pretty much the gist of what he wrote out to me. But then, I mean, looking at it and realizing what he can do with his dogs without even being able to talk, to communicate with them. It kind of made me realize that, I mean, I've got a leg up on a lot of people. I can figure it out. It just takes the time and the patience is what I'm getting at. Like,
1: yeah. don't, Honestly, don't. like I, I never like heard of this. I, I don't know who you're talking about, but I mean, it's, I think it's just great for your audience to, you know, give that insight where it's like, if people are that concerned that they're going to screw up with a dog, like communicating and like, you have somebody who like actually has to like improvise through other means and they're that successful doing it. You know, I think that's, I think that's freaking cool.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. If, uh, God, I I feel so bad I can't think of his name right now. I'm sure I'll think of it after this. I want to say Bill, but it's probably wrong. But uh, if you guys, I mean, he co- covers all of, like, North Dakota, Minnesota, all of that. If you guys can go to an AKC event just to watch some labs run, you'll probably run into him. He is a great time to, I guess you could say, talk to, but I mean, he's got so much knowledge and I mean, nicest guy that you'd ever, again, in quotes, talk to.
1: And you know, uh, I've it's kind of going off that, you know, I've, I think a lot of the people that I've met at least, whether they're people like, you know, I talk to people who they do all the like hunt test stuff and just people who have dogs that are training on their own. By and large, I've found a lot of them to be like when you are when you want to get talking to them like kind of betting in their ear about training related stuff, they tend to be pretty darn humble about it.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, don't even go just to find that guy. If you got an event in your area, even if you're not entering your dog, even if they're not AKC registered, you can go and watch and see what these dogs do and see what people are doing with them. And then, like you said, if you want to pick their brain afterwards, I haven't met a single one that won't – I mean, they will talk your ear off. Anything you want to ask, they will tell you anything you want to know because at some point, they were in the exact same boat as you. You might be on your first dog and have no clue what you're doing. I mean, everybody starts somewhere, so – If they can't point you in the right direction, they'll tell you someone they can talk to or some sort of source you can go to to figure it out. So that's my biggest my biggest advice is if you can go to one of those events and talk to some of the people, you will learn a lot more than you even knew that a dog could do.
1: You're totally right with that. I mean, like I've I've admitted like, like I have nothing to hide. Like I know there's stuff I've screwed up with him and like. I've, it's bitten me that like, now it's taken me longer to correct those things that I should have nipped sooner. Right. And I'll go to three or four people at the same time and been like, what do I need to do? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, and I'll get, sometimes I may talk to four people and I get all the same answer. Sometimes I talk to all four and I get four different answers and I'm like, shit, now, now I got to figure out like, like how do I prioritize like which one I want to go by right but at the end of the day like I appreciate the sentiment that they all still want me to land at that same answer regardless of whose advice I ultimately end up choosing and whatever one ends up working um you know and like the fact that like you know they may reach out to me about something and like or they reach out and just like see how his progress is going like you know, I still keep in touch with the breeder and, like, send him photos of him out in the field and, like, what he's doing and, you know, what he's retrieving. Or if he makes some, like, retrieve that, like, I've been, like, awestruck by for his age and I'm just, and I've had a couple of them where I'm just, like, I'll be damned. Like, I let him know that just to know, like, you know, I may not know what I'm doing all the time, but, like, you know, there's crap, like, he's doing that he's figuring out on his own. Like and I've told people that, too, where it's like as much as I'm trying to coach myself and coach him, you know, I had a week this year where it was like I really had to put a lot of it on him. And like I wanted a lot having to like trust his instincts and his nose as opposed to me trying to step in to help him and realize like me stepping in is only going to cause more confusion for him and just learn
0: to trust him in certain circumstances like you said with the four different things of advice you might just have to try a couple things like one day try something next day try something else and just see what he responds to best because i mean like i said before every dog is different everyone is different it's just like people i mean like if you go to a school and walk in a classroom you'll see kids sitting in the back of the class they're sleeping you'll see kids in the front of the class I was one of those kids that I could not learn by staring at a whiteboard and having somebody talk at me all day. If I was out there hands on, I'd take it right in. There's dogs that are, I mean, like that too. Like there's some that see you do something, they can do it. There's other ones that you, I've literally had dogs where like we get to the force fetch thing where I've had to not force them. But like I've had to pretty much walk them through step by step, like by putting it in their mouth, pushing their head down, putting it in their mouth, making them pick it up off the, like closing their mouth for them on it. And then, like two or three days in, all of a sudden it clicked. Like, oh yeah, that that does make a little bit of sense. So, and there's other dogs that I mean, hey, a they, lot of it is instinct. Great, but great i five weeks to learn like hold conditioning and force fetch. Did you do that? Did you do hold conditioning and force fetch? I did. Yep. What did you think of that process?
1: One of my, one of the guys that I actually you know kind of consulted, you know, gave me. really good piece of advice and he was like you know it's going to be one of the last things you do that's going to kind of reinforce that you're the one in charge of your dog and i think there was a lot of validity in that because my dog he is certainly even though he is petite for a lab he's he's got a hard head and i can't imagine where he got that from other than me because i'm very stubborn too and I'm sure I've given that aura quite a bit to him, and you know, like it was finally something where you know he's still not perfect at it. You know, like he'll hop in the boat and like sit there and you, know, you try to get a photo of him with the you know with the bird in his mouth or something. He drops it, and I'm, you know I got to nick him to like you know pick it back up or something. But also, you know, again that that's something that kind of comes back on me because you know i i looked back and you know for the longest time i really didn't want to even collar condition my dog um i really wanted to try to just do a lot of positive reinforcement and you know i quickly came to learn like i want to i had to kind of just again put my pride aside um and Learned that it was going to be a tool and it wasn't always going to be something that was going to be negative reinforcement. Again, didn't really know a whole lot about collar conditioning, how to properly use an e-collar, or yeah, e-collar. I'm thinking snow geese e-collar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're coming up on that in a couple of weeks, so my mind's a little bit a little bit forward thinking. But um, you know, I've seen how they've been used wrong, and like I didn't want to make those same mistakes. And now that I've kind of gotten to the, you know, habit of using it with him and, you know, how to use it correctly, um, I've seen the difference that and of itself has made. And it's not like it's been anything negative for him. You know, a couple of times, like where I've really had to sort of fry him just to keep his ass in place. But, you know, other than that, like it's been a great reinforcing tool for him to do the right thing. Um But yeah, not to kind of deflect from that, getting back to like force fetch and stuff, you know, it's, I think it's definitely kind of showed him like, I know you're out here to have fun and like you're, you got drive and like, you know, you want to please and stuff like that. But at the same time, like we have certain expectations where it's not, you're out here on a free for all and, you know, I want you to bring back birds a certain way and, you know. I will let you know what
0: isn't is not okay. Straight to me, right to heel. Let me take it out of your mouth. Type of so,
1: so I'll put it this way. It, you know, it's a little bit different in the boat, right? He's not always going to come to heel and, to me in the boat. He gets on the bow and he's holding it, you know, holding it dead, at least in <laughs> my hand. And I'm fortunate too, like his line, like they got a super soft mouth to begin with. So like, I didn't really have to go, like, really hard on him force-fetching. Like, you know, ironically, like, he was, like, eight months old, eight and a half, maybe not even nine months old yet, when I started him on, like, September geese, and I had him out. And, like, you know, he he ripped up a couple of geese, but, you know, I was, like, whatever. I kind of, like, let it slide, but it was almost like a blessing in disguise because, like, he kind of got that st- that st- stimulation out on a couple bigger birds. He was like, "Holy shit!" Like I'm trying to carry this freaking resident goose back, and he's like,
0: "50 pounds." Heavy as he
1: is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like he was like, "I just want to get this thing out of my mouth as quickly as possible." And like I don't want to sit here and like play around with it. And now it's like take a teal from him, like a broadbill, black duck, mallard, whatever the case may be. Like he brings it back dead. And he's done with it. Like he'll want to lick it, sniff it, have fun with it, but like chewing on it, wanting to like be hard mouthed about it, like it's not there. Um. So that's been that's been great, and my makes me feel like I'm I know what I'm doing a little bit more.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing too. I mean, if you can afford it, and you're actually going to be using your dog for hunting, get good bloodlines, get a good breeder that's got a good track record, because I mean, a good dog. You pretty much are, I mean, not hands-off, but what you have to do with that compared to, I don't know, Sally down the street. Her dog got in with Jeff's dog, and now they got the Slitter Pups. They're both labs. I mean, you don't know what bloodlines you're getting. You could have eight generations of couch potatoes on both sides. They've got no hunting instinct at all, and you, it's hard to train in something that they don't have is yes. – the big thing i mean if you get good proven hunting bloodlines it is a breeze because i mean i've worked with i've worked with both and there's a very big difference
1: yeah yeah I, i definitely don't disagree there i mean i've i've seen some dogs even from hunting lines like they get trained the wrong way and not to say they won't they won't go out and get a bird or something but you know the expectation is totally different yeah and like you know like i'm in the situation now like where you know the breeder i was fortunate enough to get him from like i feel like if he was in the right hands of the right trainer and stuff like he'd probably be doing circles around me yeah but at the same time like i couldn't on my own conscience no i didn't train that dog yeah
0: i get you there and that's another thing too when you're if you're going in to get a lap, you gotta be honest with yourself. If you're I mean, hunting two weekends a year and the rest of the time he's gonna be hanging out in the house, you don't need to go spend the three thousand dollars on a perfect bloodlined dog because you're gonna be letting him down. He's gonna do, that's gonna be against what he wants to do. Now, if it's like you and you're guiding or you know, those guys that they run snow geese all the way north and then they do ducks all the way south and then snow geese all the way north and Repeat all the way through dogs that are getting thousands and thousands of retrieves a year that's that's totally different those are the ones that are looking for the upper end because if they get a couch potato that's yeah,
1: yeah. that doc, that dog is likely going to be more inclined to getting hurt yeah you know, or something like that and there goes that and you probably actually legitimately do have a couch potato yeah you know and you just I mean the the dog in of itself again. Not to, you know, get worse, but it's changed my perspective in the sense of I've lost way less birds this year. Even him being a year old, I've lost way less birds. We've found birds we would have never found. And, like, you know, it was his first year, and I know it's only going to get better from there. And that, I guess... uh that juice was, you know, worth the squeeze right there for what I, you know, put up for
0: him. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of uh, upland hunting too, over here, pheasants and grouse and stuff. And Bo this year, I think he got three or four birds all on his own. Like we had walked through these cattails and we'll get up a little ways. And then it's like he catch winds and he'll spin around and he'll walk right on my tracks. And I'll have walked within inches of a bird. Like down in cattails, covered in snow, and he'll dig his way down in there, and all of a sudden come out with a rooster pheasant hanging out of his mouth, still alive, looking around like, "What happened?" Like, so I mean, obviously I count him towards my limit, but I joke around and say that he got his own limit.
1: But oh, of course. I mean, you know, we've had days like that just in the past month. I mean, I I can think of I think I can think of a couple just this past month alone where it was like. Well, we actually had, like, a deep freeze around, like, Christmas, and we had ice and stuff, and, like, I remember, like, one of my buddies, like, dumped this black dog, and, like, I, I assumed it was, like, stone dead. I was, like, we got other birds working, like, I'll send the dog on it eventually, like, I'm not worried about it. Send the dog on it, and, like, the bird's gone. I'm, like, the hell, like, this bird should be here stone dead. And, like, I'm standing maybe four feet away from, like, where I know it landed. So I'm, like, trying to get him to, like, search it up and everything. And he goes, like, way the hell downwind. And I'm, like, dude, that bird's not over there. But then, like, he literally comes all the way back to me, right where this bird fell. And he, like, sticks his, like, damn head under the ice. And the bird's, like, got this pocket under the ice it's in. Like, like as alive as can be. And I'm, like, well, shit. Like, all right, dude. And then, like, three days later my buddies sailed this bird, and they're like, yeah, dude, like, we're not finding it, like, went into this, like, huge patch of greenbriar, it's just a wall of green briar. like, should we, like, I'll go down there, and, like, we can send the dog in on it, he's like, we can try, like, but, like, that bird was alive, and just winged, and everything, like, we go down there, and, like, we could see the dog, like, making these, like, wide circles, like, he was getting up on this, like, giant foot in there, and, like, I could just tell, like, he was on to something. My buddy's like, you know, I'm like, he's on something. He's like, well, should we go in there now? Like, nah, like let's just let's just sit back and see what happens. And like, I say that, and like, this little freaking dog like comes out with this black duck like live as can be. And, like my like my buddy's reaction was like even more like substantial than mine. I'm just like, well, shit. And he's, like, jaw-dropped, like, high-fiving me, like, this made the hunt, this and that and the other, and I'm just, like, well, shit, like, I guess, like, kind of did something right, (laughs) like, (laughs) you know what I mean, like, it's just, it's cool, like, having people that are, like, supportive of you having a dog that's, like, learning, and they kind of get to share those moments with you, and then, like, seeing it as, like, first-time dog handler, and I'm just, like, shit, like... That was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I just – I don't think I can go back to hunting. I mean, obviously, there's hunts where you don't bring a dog, but I don't think I can go back to, like, seasons where I didn't have a dog. Because, man, when I had a dog before, Bo here, his name was Cash, and he got run over, so he he went earlier than he was supposed to. But I, it was, like I'm
1: sorry to
0: hear that. Three, oh, yeah, it is what it is. It happens. But yeah. we were, like, three days before early – or can, er, early Canada season started in North Dakota so I went that whole fall and then into spring without without him and man I just like had no desire to go out at all no pheasant hunting goose hunting it just it did, didn't feel the same I didn't have the same enjoyment I I think I enjoy <clears throat> working with the dog and seeing him enjoy it than I do more than me going out so
1: yeah dude I mean I can totally sympathize with that like I know people like Again, people that I've grown up hunting with, like dad's friends of mine and stuff, like where you know, they grew up with like certain dogs they had that were like their, you know, quote unquote, one dog that they had. And it was like, once that dog passes, it was like the desire to like, you know, go out and do that stuff. They're just like, I'm going to go deer hunting or something.
0: Yeah.
1: And like, I feel bad. It's just, you know, but like, I I see it now where it was like I remember like picking him out and I'm like I like damn near like cried just picking him out I'm like Jesus Christ the dog's gonna die someday on me like what the hell <laughs> you know, like I got like a I got a 12 year commitment like I'm already thinking like Jesus Christ the always gonna die someday <laughs> yeah
0: well I shouldn't say it is what it is I mean tears were shed but it's oh. been two, two years now so I'm kind of at the point where I don't when I think of him, I don't think of it as a sad point of him dying. I just, I think of all the happy times, all the good times uh-huh. we had. Horse, horse. But, you know, like you said, with the one dog, the, you know, the great dog. Bo that I have now, I think is, he's definitely going to give any dog in the future run for their money because he is, <laughs> he is so crazy good. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I'm blessed to have him, but uh, Cash was the one that. I mean, I got him, I think it was like a month after I graduated college, like or a week. It was early, so he, I mean, I was he was with me from when I was making nothing, where both of me and him were <laughs> living off of fucking ramen noodles and tuna out of a can,
1: <laughs> I, scraping I, I, I,
0: by, yeah. moved a bunch of places, girlfriends, got married, had a kid, everything, he was there for that, and then, so that, that was my, more why I was so sentimental, is because all the things <laughs> I got to share with him, but I mean, really? as... As morbid as it sounds, him passing on allowed me to move on to Bo here, and sure, sure. Really, and he taught me so much training wise. He was the one I messed up that I started with. I mean, he taught me so much, well, even no, though I messed him up. He taught me so. Well,
1: and like I, and again, I don't want to, you know, guinea pig on your your
0: talking about <laughs> well, you're good.
1: You know, talking about being morbid and stuff. It's like you know they always talk about you know the first one you get is kind of like your guinea pig. Like yeah. as much as like I've enjoyed like hunting with him and like I know someday like he won't be here. Like he's he's kinda like my guinea pig. You know, like <laughs> you know, like, you gotta kinda lighten it about
0: that. Yeah. Like I said, he uh he taught me more than I taught him, and it was mostly about myself and how yeah. I thought that I was a patient person. And once I started trying to teach a dog what force fetch was, I realized I was not as patient as I thought it was and <laughs> yeah, I uh not saying that I messed him up. I mean, like, he still hunted, but he had a lot more potential than I was able to get out of him. But, again, taught me so much, and it got me to where I'm at now. So, do you have any um, cool or crazy stories or hunts or, I guess, most memorable things?
1: Yeah, man. You know, I'll be honest with you. God, I truth be told, I hate to sound cheesy about it, like... You know, I've been hunting for 23 years now, seems like, or something like that. Uh, You know, there's always hunts that stand out, like, year to year, right? I mean, like, I can think of times before I even could hunt, and I went out with my dad. And, like, I was like, what in God's name did he bring me out? Like, am I going to die out here? Like, you're just miserably cold as, like, an eight, nine-year-old, wrapped up in blankets and, like, shivering and, like, there's nothing moving and, like, you're just out with, like, him and one of his buddies and you're like, this is what they do like, this sucks and, like I looked back at, like, that and I'm like, how the hell did I go from, like, that to where it's, like I'm fine going, like, 36 hours on no sleep because I just know it's going to be that good and, like You know, I I, like there's so many times in between that where it's like, like I think about like just, you know, hunts like Travis and I have had where it's like, you know, like we've had like snow geese like land like 10 minutes before. Like, yeah, like three or four thousand snow geese like landing before shooting light. And we're sitting there like like I literally had like a snow goose like land on me, like on the whole. Like I can put my hand on the Bible, like a snow goose land on me. And we're sitting there like, shit, like, what are we going to do when it becomes shooting light? It's like, I don't know. What are we going to do? And, you know, you have days like that. And, you know, I remember, like, days this time last year where it's like, you know, we go to the pit and, like, it's, it's a blizzard and, like, nobody wants to drive. Like, everybody's like, what the fuck are we doing? And you just go out and you just maul birds and it's like you can't do anything wrong like you you literally can't do anything wrong and like you just make the birds pay for it and you know those hunts that you you have like when you always just put up a great pile like that's all well and good but you know i feel like it's those hunts that have almost kind of grounded us and made us so humble you know like that's that's not what like I mean, like, I'm sure, like, you've seen our social media, like, we rarely, like, we don't really post piles, like, we just don't care, we don't care about, like, posting all these pile photos, like, we're not, you know, you get people that's, like, they shoot a bird, they shoot, you know, we ran into a flock, and, like, it's, like, every time we shoot a bird, like, they gotta go back and, like, recount, like, what our body count is at, and it's, like, we're just so far past that, and, you know, it it sounds so cheesy, but, like, I I don't know if you know Gene Hell. He's a, you know, big, like, waterfowl author and stuff, and, like, you know, he says something actually, like, I'm only bringing this up because, like, one of my buddies mentioned it today, and it's making me think of it now, where it's like, you know, he says something along the lines of, like, you know, all the, like, you know, times, like, you recollect, like, it's not about, like, what you kill, it's about, like, you know, time you spend a feeling. It's it's so cheesy, but it's so true. Like, you know, I've had some great hunts where I like, didn't kill shit with my dad and my grandfather. And like, I've had days where I like, just beat the love and ever piss out of birds. And like, they all kind of weigh the same, you know, and I've, I've literally had a grown man hug me and cry over shooting a black duck, you know, cause it was like one of the last birds he needed for his, you know, his North American, you know, uh, species list. And it's just like you know, it's just it's just a great they're like they're all good stories, I guess is what I'm getting at. Whether like the hunting sucked, or like we were pissed at each other, like somebody was cursing at one another, or like we're fist pumping and chanting, or whatever the hell, or like we're out there at nine o'clock the night before drilling goddamn snake you know, stakes in the ground to put snow geese out for the next day. Like, it's just it's all good. Like you kind of forget some of the shitty hunts when you have the really good ones and the really good ones doesn't mean you shot a bunch of stuff, but it's, you know, you put people on their first birds, <coughs> you know, whatever the case may be, you know, your dog makes his first retrieve or he makes his first retrieve of a different species, Wh- whatever the case may be, man, it's just, it's, it's just all good. You know, you get to meet different people. Like it's such a, it's such a small world, but it's such a tight knit world. And, you know, we all get to deal with our own trolls and, you know, people who want to give us shit and, you know, you take it in stride and, you know, I don't know, man. It's just it's all good. It's so interesting not to derail to this anymore, but, you know, like they always talk about like, you know, hunters in general kind of going through this pathway of like, you know, they just want to go out and they just want to shoot a bunch of shit. Be reinforced for that to like show they're successful. And, like, you go through these other pathways of, you know, being more, like, methodical and kind of process-oriented and stuff like that. And, you know, like I remember, like, one hunt this year, like, we had this, like, one group of mallards and black ducks. Like, I think it was, like, four or five of us hunting together. And, you know, like, they are waiting for me to call the shot. And, like, I had, like, a few birds land. And, like, I'm just waiting for, like, you know, we're hunting this, like, really tight hole. And, like, I was waiting for, like, all these birds to get in it like they finally do and like we just fucking rained them out like everybody's freaking out and, like it's just awesome and you know my one buddy and I still hug. my man like we wish we had like a video of this like we wish we had this video and like something to like that would have like captured this moment and I'm like dude I'm gonna be honest with you like I'm kind of glad we don't like like we have, like, that memory of it. Like, we can talk about it. Like, we still see it, exactly how it paid out. Like, what does a video do other than it's something for us to watch? You know, it's it sounds super cheesy, but, like, it's it's the truth.
0: Yeah. Well, that's kind of, like, where I'm at, too, on, like, on mounting animals. Like, I'm not huge into it every now and then. I'll do a European mount, but, I mean, I've got... I think three animals mounted. One of them's a deer that I got with my dad. It was a cool story. And then I guess the other the only bird I have is a wood duck and that was the first duck I shot, but it was also with my grandpa. And mm-hmm. I think that's the only I guess we do have like another hunt we did where we got like five ducks, but that's the only duck I've mounted and like if I look at either of them, I instantly just remember the day and how it went and how special I felt, so.
1: Yeah. I mean like I've I've I got very few mounts in my house. The three that I do, two of them, they're actually more sentimental now. And like it was more like I don't look at them now. And I'm like that was my first Blue Goose and my first Ross. I look at them more so now. Like a good friend of mine, like his dad was the one who did them, and his dad passed on. So like there's more of like a sentimental value now that like. Knowing who did them and he was a good dude, then like it's about the birds. And like I've gotten more into like if I get something cool, like I get it carved by a local carver, knowing I'm, I'm supporting him, his family, what he does and like it's something that's gonna last a lot longer than a mount.
0: For sure. <laughs> Man, the main thing I was gonna talk to you about snow was snow goose hunting. We didn't even really get on that. <laughs> We're gonna have to have you back on just to do a snow goose I episode. We're
1: gonna have to meet up again.
0: Yeah. All right. Well yep. um Yeah, I'm right at my kids' bedtime, so I gotta go lay them down. We're at about an hour and a half too, so I think I've probably kept you long enough. But uh uh-huh. yeah, we'll have to get you back on do a snow goose episode. But man. if you uh do you wanna take your social medias at all and then uh how to get a hold of you to get a hunt, anything like that.
1: Yeah, man. Uh appreciate that. Um if anybody's looking to you know greater snow geese black ducks their brand from around the country who wants to get in on that um websites www.huntoto.com you can find us at one tree outfitters llc on facebook and instagram we are not of the type of doing any of that tiktok crap so i go looking on there for that we're growing men we're not doing that um so yeah there's the three ways you can find us. Um, get in touch with us we'll get you in the
0: right place awesome well thanks for coming on and doing this and like i said we'll have to get you back on soon here in the future and do the snow goose episode that i think we were both planning on actually doing so <laughs>
1: hey but you know what these organic kind of conversations are the best to have right
0: for sure cool man All right. right well having me on yeah for sure well you have a good rest of your night i know it's already pretty late your side of the country so
1: nine o'clock we're good. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Well, you have a good night, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. Take it easy. All right. Bye. See ya.